Amen. All right. Well, good morning again. And if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke. Happy Palm Sunday. Kids, thank you so much. That was fantastic. Thank you so, so very much. Like I said, we're going to be in the book of Luke today, taking a break from Hebrews because today is Palm Sunday. And so uh, I want to just remind us that, you know, with it being Palm Sunday, I don't know how it was for you, but my memories of Palm Sunday when I was growing up, this is, if you have a church background, the day when traditionally in Sunday school you cut out, you know, from construction paper a palm branch, or if the church was a glutton for punishment, passed out palm branches to all the kids. And so you wind up just whacking people around you, so we love you, so we did not give the kids palm branches. We had them sing instead. But it is Palm Sunday, which means this week is Holy Week. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And so that means that this week people will be thinking about, talking about whether they're believer or non-believer, Jesus, more than they typically do. And so I want to encourage you, number one, to take advantage of that. Take advantage of that this week. This is a one week in the year when people, if you ask them to come to church, will probably say yes unless they already have plans. And so we have in the back some mailers that we sent out, and we ordered several hundred extra. So you can grab these in the back, take a bunch of them, because we have a ton of them, uh, and pass them out. You know, just invite five, ten people from work, from school, invite them. I promise if you do that, I promise I will preach the gospel. I try to do that every single week. But do that, bring them, and that will be great. The second thing that we know, based upon the fact that it's Holy Week, is that Jesus will also be all over the TV this week. And they will, you know, be wanting to find, like, who is the real historical Jesus? And so Nat Geo, Discovery Channel, predictable every single year, they'll go find some credentialed, bearded, British accent guy. Because <laughs> automatically you're smarter, if you don't sound like me. And they will trot him out, and he'll say things like, well, just, Jesus was a gifted teacher... And he was a social revolutionary, but he never claimed to be God. The problem, though, is that Jesus constantly claimed to be God. It's all over the New Testament. We can go from passage to passage to passage where he's doing that. I mean, it's the whole reason they killed him. Is that he was a blasphemer. And so Jesus clearly claims to be God. The Pharisees clearly know that he's claiming to be God. That's why they want to stone him. And so there's no denying Jesus' claim, when he says, before Abraham was, I am. When he says, I and the Father are one. When he's with the woman at the well, and she says, I know that Messiah will come one day. And he just drops the mic, I who speak to you am he. With the paralytic. Son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are like, uh, only God can forgive sins. And he's like, I know, I know, I know. On and on we could go with these. But perhaps one of the clearest claims of Jesus, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the Messiah, the long-awaited Christ, the Son of God, the King of the universe, is what has come to be known as the triumphal entry, which is what Palm Sunday is all about. And so if you've ever wondered, like, what's the big deal about Palm Sunday? Well, what's the point of the triumphal entry? I mean, Jesus gets killed five days later. It doesn't exactly seem triumphal. Well, that's what I'm hoping to help us answer today. What is the point of the triumphal entry? 
What was Jesus teaching? What was he communicating in that? And I think there's two big answers. And the first one we've already kind of hinted at. It's one of Jesus' biggest statements that I am God. I am the Messiah. I am King. And so, number one, the triumphal entry, all right, one of the biggest things it does is it shows that Jesus is the Messiah King. And so, number one, if you want to take notes, the triumphal entry shows that Jesus is the Messiah King. And so, Chad read from Matthew, because there was portions of that I wanted us to get in our mind, but I'm going to teach out of Luke, another one of the Synoptic Gospels. And so, chapter 19, we'll pick it up in verse 28. If you have a Bible, grab it. Some of the Bibles will be on page 878, and if I remember right, the other skinnier Bibles are maybe 825. Matthew, or sorry, Luke 19, 28. Read along with me. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found so those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The wood has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And so here's the context. It's Passover week. So the city is slammed. Historians estimate there were probably 2 million additional people in the city, 250,000 lambs about to be slaughtered. Like, it's crazy crowded. It's like downtown Nashville at New Year's, and there's just a feeling of electricity and excitement in the air. And so Jesus is headed to Jerusalem for the Passover, but he's coming into Jerusalem in a different way than he has the previous 32 years of his life. The previous 32 years of his life, he's come in very quiet, but now he's coming in with an entourage. He's got a ton of disciples following him, not just the twelve. A ton. And people have heard all about him. He's just been in Bethany. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. And word has spread the two miles from Bethany to Jerusalem. And so there's whispers all in the crowd. Who is this guy? Is this Jesus? Is he the Messiah? So this is the environment into which Jesus is walking on what we now call triumphal entry. Palm Sunday. Passover is going on. Word is spreading. Atmosphere is electric. And what I want you to understand 
is that Jesus, as the king of the universe, is orchestrating all of this in coming to Jerusalem. Knowing that he's coming to give his life as a ransom for sins, that he, the innocent one, will be slain so that we, like Barabbas, the guilty one, can be set free. Like, that's about what's, that's what's about to go down. Jesus knows that. He was born for this. And so he approaches Jerusalem... He's doing so in a very particular, premeditated, planned out before the foundations of the earth way. And so letter A, the triumphal entry shows that Jesus is the Messiah King by highlighting his sovereignty. His sovereignty. It shows this through his sovereignty, but just kind of a peak. Just a little glimpse. Jesus flexes just a little bit to let us get a tiny peek at his sovereignty. Because don't don't misunderstand. None of this stuff, whether Palm Sunday or even Good Friday, Easter, none of this, when Jesus walks into town, when he's crucified on the cross, none of this is happening to Jesus. Like he's a passive agent in it. No, he's doing it. He's carrying, this is the plan laid out before the foundations of the earth. It's not something happening to him, it's something he's doing. And so listen to me, as the Son of God, the Messiah, the one in whom the fullness of deity dwells bodily, he's in control in this moment. Just as he's in control in this moment, here. Though we may not get it, though we may not understand it in our lives. And when Jesus died on the cross, I mean, the disciples were like, what? This isn't part of the plan? What's going on? But actually, yeah, it, it was part of the plan from the very beginning. They just didn't realize it and it's the same in our lives. So often things happen. This isn't part of the plan. But though we can't see it, though we may not understand why, though we may never understand in our lives, God is still in control. I mean, it's like the art that's out on the walls outside of here. We live underneath the loom. God lives above the loom. He sees the tapestry He's weaving. We see knots, tangles, loose ends. We have no idea how it fits together. But God is in control. He is sovereign. And that's good news. I can't imagine a more scary world where God's not in control. Well, hope it works out. Right? That would be terrifying. And so all this stuff that's happening isn't happening to Jesus. It's Jesus carrying out a plan laid down before the foundation of the earth. This is the Messiah's sovereignty over all things. Even down to the point of where a donkey's tied up. Telling his disciples, hey, go to the next town. You've never been there. There's a donkey. You'll find him. The guy's going to come out and say, hey, don't steal my donkey. Tell him it's for me. He'll let you go. Right? I mean, just imagine if that was in your life. Like I sanctified imagination. If this was Pine Log, where I'm from, Bubba's coming out. Shotgun. I'm about to pump your guts full of lead. What are you doing, boy? It happens just the way Jesus said it does, would. They bring him the donkey. 
And so as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, I mean, he's carrying out specific steps to show his power, to show his control, to show his sovereignty, to show that he is the rightful king. And it's crazy as it sounds, this donkey plays a huge role in this. Because we think, like, donkey? That's not very powerful. That's not very noble. What, how about a war horse? Like the Romans, they come in, an emperor comes in, a king comes in, they're on a war horse, you know, weapons glistening in the sunlight, but a donkey? Well, a thousand years previous to this moment, culture was different. And you had King David. And King David, that everyone loved, everyone adored, and everyone's waiting for the son of David, the true and better King David to come. Well, King David often rode around on a donkey, symbolizing that he was a humble king who didn't want to lord it over the people, but wanted to love and lead his people. Now that's changed, and now you've got, you know, war horses. And so when Jesus comes in all retro on a donkey like David, he is making a clear statement about who he is. Because as we recited in Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a foal. Or a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Jesus knows what he's doing. It is on purpose he's not playing around he's saying Zechariah 9 9 that's me I am the one that you've been waiting for and the people who are flooding into Jerusalem for the Passover begin recognizing this royal symbol all the electricity is in the air all the rumors about him and so they flood the street shouting blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord and so the people like they get it uh, I see he's the king Like the people get it. And that's the second way the triumphal entry shows that Jesus is the Messiah King. Letter B in your notes, it shows this through the praise he receives. Okay? Through the people's praise. And so we look at verse 36 again. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice And praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And so the people are rejoicing. They're hailing him as king. Tens of thousands of people on the road heading into Jerusalem are parting, letting him come through. John 12 tells us they've broken out palm branches, which was customary for the receiving of a military victor or a king or a hero. Like that's why we call it Palm Sunday. Like if we were going to have a big, you know, if there's a big battle or the United States won or whatever, we're going to break out parade. We're going to have flags. We're going to have um, confetti falling. You think about Fourth of July. You think about Memorial Day. You think about Veterans Day. There are just flags everywhere. Well, palm branches were the flags of the day. 
And so they broke them out. They're shouting, Hosanna, here comes our king. And the people keep repeating, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Which is a line from the Hallel Psalm, specifically what John quoted this morning. 118, verse 26. But they tweaked one particular part of that line. And so if you look on the screens, you're going to see Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right? But then they tweak this in Psalm, or in verse 38 of Luke 19. It says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Like they knew who he was. There was no denying it. Like there was no questioning. They knew he was the king. The king had come. The people were praising him. And so rejoicing, praising Loving it. And obviously the Pharisees are not. And so they say you need to make the people stop. This is blasphemy. But notice what Jesus does here. He never denies that the people were right. He's basically just like, no, I'm not going to make them stop. And even if I did, I can make these rocks sing. I can make these stones shout. All creation is groaning for the day of redemption when I make all things new. And so he's saying, look, I'm Lord of creation. Again, I am God. Jesus is not being subtle in the triumphal entry. He is flagrantly shouting, I am the Messiah King. And so whereas there's been a few times in the Gospels and the New Testament already where they would have made him their king, but he slips out because it wasn't a time. Now is the time. And so he accepts their praise. He accepts their adulation. He accepts their calling him the king. Because that is who he is. He knows what he's doing. He's deliberately presenting himself in these ways. And so here's the deal. The people both get it and don't at the same time. They get that He is the King. They get that He is the Messiah. But they are not hailing Him as a spiritual Messiah. They're hailing Him as a political Savior, a political Deliverer, a political Conqueror. Because like Christian nationalists, that's what they really want. They're basically trying to make Jesus into their image. Conform Him into the vision of Jesus they want. When it fits their agenda. One that fits their wishes. And we still see this today everywhere. People love to claim Jesus if it benefits them. They treat him like a NASCAR decal. I got Jesus. See, right there. I'm good. And so they don't want to submit to him. They don't want to follow him. But they want to use him. And you see that everywhere. That's the Jews here. They don't want him as a... Spiritual Messiah. They want their conquering king now. They don't want to wait for second advent. They want it in first advent. And so when Jesus sees people so close, they're rejoicing rightly that he's the king, but they're rejoicing for all the wrong reasons. They're so close, but so far away. What does he do? He weeps. He weeps. But even this shows us that Jesus is the Messiah King because this is the heart of our great King. 
And so let her see in your notes, the triumphal entry shows that Jesus is the Messiah King through his heart. Look at verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, Jesus doesn't, doesn't cry a lot. We don't, we don't see that in the Bible very much. We see it twice. Once when Lazarus dies, even though he's about to raise him again, he enters into the pain of his people as he does with all of us. And he cries and he weeps. Second time, he's here. Weeping over Jerusalem. And some of us, we're taught, son, real men don't cry. Now, the truth is, real men don't cry for the wrong reasons. But they do sometimes for the right reasons. And Jesus weeps over the lostness of Jerusalem. Like he will rightly punish sin. Jesus will, like justice will be done. But his heart, his heart is to save. And this is what the cross shows us simultaneously. On the cross we see the justice of God meet with the love of God. In justice, God punishes sin on the cross. But in love, Jesus takes our place. He's our substitute. Like on the cross, the Father treated Jesus as if He had lived your sinful life, my sinful life, so that He could treat us as if we had lived Jesus' sinless life. This is the exchange that happens in salvation. And this is the Messiah's heart. This is the pathway to verse 42. Peace with God. And Jesus holds this good news, this gospel out to anyone who would repent and believe. But if you reject Him, there's destruction. Personally, And here what he's specifically talking about is like literal and physical. 70 AD, the Romans would surround Jerusalem and they would leave it in desolation, utter ruin. One stone, not even on top of the other. And Jesus in his omniscience knows this is coming. And so he looks out over the city from the mount. He weeps. It was too late for Jerusalem. Five days later, they would crucify their only hope. But friends, here's the good news for you and me. If you do not know Jesus, it's not too late for you. You're still alive. He holds salvation in His hands. Trust Him by faith. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Trust Him. As your Lord, as your Savior, it's not too late for you. Trust Him. Make this the best Palm Sunday ever. 
Because the triumphal entry is showing us that Jesus is the Messiah King. And so trust Him. That's why it's a big deal. Submit to Him. But then secondly, and quickly, number two in your notes, the triumphal entry also serves as a preview of coming attractions. It serves as a preview of coming attractions. See, Jesus entered Jerusalem as a king praised. He died on the cross as a king mocked. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. And he's coming again as the king of kings. And everyone will see him for who he truly is. And the triumphal entry is a little preview of this. And whereas in the triumphal entry, he comes humble on a donkey. When he comes again, he is coming on a war horse. Warrior king, Revelation 19, white horse, tattoo on his thigh, blood of his vanquished foes on his robe, snake boots on to crush the head of the serpent forever. And every knee will bow, Philippians 2, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Christ to the glory of God the Father. Every knee, every knee. When Jesus returns in glory, every knee is going to bow, whether you like it or not. You can either bow as a trophy of His grace, or you can bow, as one guy put it, as a trophy of His justice. But you will bow. Every knee will bow. And either way, you'll glorify God. Like you don't really get a choice. You'll either glorify God by being an object of His grace or you're going to glorify God by highlighting His justice. You will glorify God. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And so that day is coming. Are you ready? For if you've never trusted Jesus, if you are not a Christian, that, that should be a little unsettling. But it doesn't have to be. Trust Christ. Place your faith in Him, in Him alone. Not what you've done, but what Jesus has done. His life, His death, His resurrection. But then for believers, if you are a follower of Jesus... This is what we long for. This is what we hope for. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. We long for Jesus to come and make all that's gone wrong right. We long for, as Gandalf told Sam, all the sad things to come untrue. Because we know deep down, death isn't right. Sorrow's not right. Pain's not right. These aren't natural. We aren't meant to live like this. There wasn't death in the beginning. The very good beginning. We are to live somewhere free from these things. And so we rightly long for shalom. Peace with God. Peace and perfect fellowship with Him. And fellowship with one another. A true brotherhood of humanity. Perfect harmony. And it's coming. And the triumphal entry serves as a preview of that day. Just a little one. 
And so, friends, that, all this, this, this is the point of Palm Sunday. If you've ever wondered, what is the point of Palm Sunday? What, what is the point of the triumphal entry? Well, it's two. One, it shows us that Jesus is the Messiah King. And it's a preview of coming attractions. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. And so as we go home today, may our hosannas ring loudly as we together proclaim, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Long live the King. Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you. You are King. Not just someday, you are King right now. And we confess, we know that we live in an already not yet paradigm. Where you are already reigning, but it's not yet visible. We are already saved, those who've repented and trusted in Jesus. But we are not yet glorified, resurrected. We're in this in-between the first advent and the second advent. And we look forward to when you come again and make all things new. But until then, Father, help us to be found faithful to our Savior, Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill us and give us courage and strength. to pursue you and follow you, to repent and believe, to confess and to fight on, to march on, to run on. When exhausted, lift us up. And so we worship you, our triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. We love you. We need you. And we praise you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.